Welcome, and thanks for listening to Balancing Boundaries podcast, where we seek to help you achieve success at work and within. I'm Taylor Williams. And I'm Colleen Hampton. We are two young attorneys trying to have it all. Balancing Boundaries is a self-empowerment series where we explore empowerment techniques to balance our priorities. Now a reminder, although Taylor Williams and I are both attorneys, nothing in this podcast is meant to be legal advice. And although Taylor and I are passionate about self-improvement and mental health, we are not mental health professionals. All right, Colleen. So you have the awesome topic for today. You want to share with the group what's going on? Yeah, recently I had to travel and traveling during COVID has been kind of limited. And so there was a lot of really great things that happened when we traveled. We got to see other people and spend time with people we love. That was great. But also had this interesting realization or revelation, however you want to frame it, that I can be greatly affected by the energies of the people I'm around. For example, I happen to be around a group of very negative people recently. So negative that like making fun of people they see on TV, making fun of people they see having fun, doing things that they enjoy. Just hateful, I guess. And it really got me down. It made me sad. And it really affected me. So I wanted to talk to you about it and see how you deal with that, what your strategies are, and how maybe being around really negative people have impacted you. Yeah. Okay. I have a question first, just to give myself and everybody listening along with us like a better picture of the scenario. So when you're around these people, how did you first notice it? The first thing I noticed was that there was a lot of really mean jokes being made at other people's expense. And I thought, this seems weird. I don't normally hear this kind of humor. And so realizing that the jokes were different kind of tuned me in to what all is being said, maybe not in a joking way, maybe just being said. What is being discussed? And that's when I realized everything was negative, not just the jokes. (laughs) Colleen, did you ever have like an AIM screen name or anything like that or an away message or anything? Okay, so I did a long time ago, but I cannot remember what it is. (laughs) I swear there's those aim away messages, and I must have seen this one a million times, the there's a little truth behind every, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And that's what made me think of that. It's very angsty, but at the same time, it's kind of accurate. Yes, yes, I, yeah, that is totally appropriate in this situation. (laughs) So when this was going on, Were you internalizing it like strictly from an emotional standpoint and a mental standpoint? Or did you have physical manifestations of this being uncomfortable? Yeah, it was mostly actually physical, being very uncomfortable and this pit in my stomach, being around something that I kind of really didn't like. And maybe I was more aware of it because I haven't been around people much. Because I haven't, yeah, I I don't know. It just seemed very, I was very aware of it this time. And it was interesting. So what was your initial response? And did you change it? throughout the time with them, like your coping mechanisms and things like that. (laughs) This is probably not something I should announce and brag about here, but really all I did was bottle it up. (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to bottle this up. And we're keeping it real. Yeah, I'm just going to notice it. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm feeling very uncomfortable and I'm going to acknowledge what is causing it to be uncomfortable 
but I'm not in a position where I don't control other people. I can't really change this situation. I'm just right. going to observe it. And so that's really what I did. I kind of just bottled it all up and shoved it down inside. <laughs> well, it sounds like you were being very mindful of it. And I feel like sometimes I've had conversations with my therapist about sometimes the best option is no response. If you can't remove yourself from the situation, that something is happening, even acknowledging it is a somewhat effective option because it's not encouraging it, it's not fostering it along, which I feel like on one hand feels like bottling it up, but we're unbottling it now. Yeah, just let it out. Yeah, I wouldn't beat yourself up about it because it sounds like in that situation, the options you have had wouldn't have been very effective. You're not going to change their mind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's one thing I've had to learn for sure is when I'm around negative people and they're acting in a way that's making me uncomfortable is knowing your audience. There's this person in my life who is a narcissist and when I interact with him, everything I say falls on deaf ears, Mm -hmm. right? So my natural inclination, especially as an attorney, just like who I am, is to prove my point, make the other party see my side. Yes. And I'm never going to get there with that person. My therapist has had to be like, it's literally all it's doing is causing you distress. Yeah. So don't do it. Don't engage. Which is easier said than done. (laughs) You make a really good valid point though. And and it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if I've shared this story here recently or not, but in one of my previous law jobs, I was around somebody, a partner who had a real negative outlook on life and was really unhappy about everything. In fact, one time we were taking an Uber to a meeting and everything the Uber driver did was wrong. She picked us up on the wrong side of the street. She picked us up two minutes too late. And every single thing she did was wrong to the point where this partner actually made the Uber driver cry. And I couldn't do anything in that situation either. And it made me very uncomfortable. And the only thing I can control was my reaction. So when I had an opportunity to talk to the Uber driver, I just made sure that I was authentic to myself. I didn't try to insult anybody. And of course, I'm not going to try to insult a partner. (laughs) This is my actual job on the line. If I, yeah. (laughs) Same thing with people you can't control. Like with this narcissist in your life, you're not going to win points by even saying like, well, you just don't understand because you're a narcissist. Even though that is a fact, you're not going to win points with that. So just being authentic to yourself and very mindful of what feels good for you. That's probably the only option that you really have because you can't control everybody else. You can only control you. That is so true. And it takes a lot of trial and error to figure out how to get through it. I know for me as an introvert, one thing that I need to do, especially if I'm around any people, but especially negative people for any period of time, I need to be by myself. Were you staying with these people? Did you get to at least retreat to a room by yourself at night? Yeah, I definitely had my own space and it was only a limited amount of time. And before long, I was back in my house surrounded by my incense and my candles and everything I love, you know? Good energy. Exactly. It was only a moment, but I do think that it was so obvious. Part of me actually felt really bad for them. Honestly, the same way I felt about the partner who made the Uber driver cry, I actually really felt sorry for her. Yeah, I'm sorry that this is your experience. 
Yeah. So I definitely had to process some of that too. It wasn't just, I'm uncomfortable and I don't feel like it was really judgy. It was just like, I'm uncomfortable because this isn't my vibe. And then on top of that, I feel sorry for you that this is your vibe. (laughs) Totally. That Uber driver story as a person who drove for Uber for like five minutes, but still as a former Uber driver, that is painful. People are out here. That is their job. And that is not what they need to be dealing with. Yeah. But that's a example because for you, right, just as much as it was a situation where you couldn't escape and just had to get through it in the moment. Yeah. That was my friend's job. So she's just driving along and sometimes you got to cry it out. That was a really awkward moment, especially as an employee. <laughs> like, you don't want to see your management staff like treating people like that. And so on so many levels, it was so awkward. On a personal level, I don't, I try not to treat people that way. So seeing somebody being treated that way, was shocking. And then on a professional level, as attorneys, I didn't think we were supposed to act that way. We shouldn't, you know, and then like in a employee type situation, it was just weird on all fronts. It was very awkward. And I'm happy to report that that is no longer my employment situation. So... <laughs> That makes me name another question because you have more career slash life experience than I do. So my work history up until this point has almost exclusively been in the legal field or some sort of internship or something. You had mentioned we would not expect that from an attorney. For people who aren't in the legal realm, attorneys have this kind of ethical code. Not kind of. We do. We have an ethical standard of professionalism that needs to be maintained. And so I was wondering when you were working in corporate America and things like that, what was your experience with that? Like, was there any sort of bar set? (laughs) Okay. So this is something that I may have, I don't know if people will agree with me on this, but I honestly find that people in corporate America behave better than people in the legal field. And it's not what I expected. That is not what I expected. I takes my jaw dropped. Yeah. Lawyers are the ones telling the employees and the management at these Fortune 500 companies to behave a certain way. Their lawyers are saying, hey, don't tell somebody that you're firing them because they're a woman. <laughs> because that's going to expose you to a lawsuit. And so there's a lot of training. There's a lot of ongoing maintenance of ethical and business practices in corporate America in large companies and small companies, not so much, but large companies, it's institutionalized and it's constantly being reinforced. Now, there's always that underbelly of we don't do what we say, but there's this institutionalized practice of being very ethical. Okay. (laughs) That's not the case in my experience with many lawyers. It's almost as if because of their station, because they went to school, most lawyers go to school all the way through and graduate and are lawyers. That's their first job, like their first real job, their first career. And so they have no experience working in other settings or trying to cultivate a career in other settings. And so they're not used to this. And they have all this title and authority that comes along with being an attorney. And I think exactly. Entitlement, yes. And so I think that creates a culture that allows for bad behavior. And I think it's part of what, you know, I think we've talked about before what's broken about law firm culture. And there's really an intolerance of the human condition. (laughs) So I was really surprised. I actually thought it was going to be the other way around that lawyers were going to be so mindful and very aware. But no, that's not been my experience. (laughs) 
I will say, I think my experience going to law school is that the vast majority of our peers are almost strictly on the analytical end of the spectrum. And so I think that might have something to do with it too, you know, just kind of a more rigid approach Mm -hmm. and not putting any stock in the manner that they're acting or the words that they're using because it doesn't affect them. So maybe they just don't expect it to affect other people. Yeah, I can see that. I was really confronted with that at one point in my career before going to law school when I had this great idea and I had pitched this idea and I essentially saw a process that I could improve. And and one of the things that I am very natural at is just looking at a process and finding a way to make it more efficient. Cut out this step, move this over here. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. So I had, re- I had redesigned this process to make it more efficient and to allow people to be more accountable and be better measured in their performance. And nobody wanted to do it. I had pitched it. We were trying to get people's buy-in and my peers at the executive, the junior executive level, were not buying into it at all because they didn't want to change. Honestly, one of the pieces of feedback I got from that, because we had to have a mediation. <laughs> No, we did. We had to have HR mediate this process. So, are um, you a mediator now, Colleen? I a mediator. are you? I went through mediation training, but I never filed my paperwork. Okay. So, the HR person who was not a mediator, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> yeah. She's trying to mediate this dispute, and one of the things that kept coming up was that the the other executives that I wanted to buy into this process did not like the way I worded it, did not like the way I presented it. They were insulted by the fact that I thought I could improve the work that they're doing. They took it all very personally. Yes. And I was like, this has nothing to do with your personal performance. You're great. You guys are doing great, but this could be better. (laughs) So yeah, I learned the hard way that can be too analytical. (laughs) So interesting. That's crazy that you've had like both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it about being too analytical. At that job, we did this great thing where all of the executives, even the junior executives were taken to a leadership retreat and we were all forced to take the Myers-Briggs personality test. I'm an INTJ. I'm an INFJ. Nice. And so I was the only INTJ in the entire, like, in the entire leadership team. And I was one of two introverts. There was only one other I person. Everybody else was, I can't remember what they were. But one of the things she, the person leading the retreat was saying is, what you see here is we grouped everybody by their first letter of their my thing and everybody was in the e's and then there was just the two of us over here in the eyes and she said you know what you see here is that like you really have not you haven't cultivated a diverse way of thinking about problems what you've done is you've cultivated a team that all thinks the same except for these two people over here who don't think the same and so you need to be more aware of the group think that can happen and like the, I can't remember what it's called, but that bias that you get when people just reinforce each other's ideas. Yes. 
confirmation bias. Yeah. Beware of that because what you have are a bunch of people who all think the same. And I was like, wow, that's, I never thought about it like that. But as an INTJ, I approach problem solving and thinking differently than somebody else. hundred percent. That's awesome. One that you got to have that experience and see all of that about your coworkers, what I would give. Um, (laughs) When I was leaving the legal field and trying to decide my life's path or my path right now or whatever is happening. I was reading this book. I think it's called The New What You Can Do with Your Law Degree or a Law Degree or something like that, which is an amazing resource for anybody who's an attorney or went to law school and the legal field is not what they expected. (laughs) We go on for hours about that. But part of the book was breaking down Myers-Briggs and they had really interesting statistics in this book for each subtype. So the first letter, like Colleen said, is introvert, extrovert. So it's I or E. They would give like the statistic of the general population, how it falls. And then they would statistic of the legal field. Oh. And And almost, if not all of mine were the opposite. Really? Yeah. And so that really reinforced to me It's not that I'm bad or my way of thinking is bad. In law school, people for the first time in my life told me that I was too emotional. And I had never in my life been called the emotional one. (laughs) Uh, Like I have emotions, yes. (laughs) I'm not. But I had always thought of myself as more analytical until I was in this group of people who were so far on the other end of the spectrum and had such a different way of thinking. It's like I wasn't swimming in the right pond. Yeah, I like, I mean, I like that. And it's funny because early, early on in my job search for getting a law job, I think we may have had this conversation, but I remember feeling like maybe this job or maybe this, for example, maybe being a district attorney isn't for me. I just didn't feel like I couldn't be authentically me and be in this environment, as an example. I I like it to being like, you can't sit in a vat of acid and not get burned. That's kind of like what you were just talking about. I mean, swimming in the wrong pond downplays it because I think that it's a very physical, emotional reaction that you have when you're surrounded by people who are so different from you that you you really don't see eye to eye, you know? I mean, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And so I think you might be downplaying it a little bit. You were sitting in a vat of acid and getting burned. So you had to get out. (laughs) Oh my God, that is wild. I, yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) It's interesting too, because my personality, I feel like was also very different. Like at work, they called me the affirmation queen because I was positive, upbeat, said a lot of affirming statements. People just aren't like that in this field. It's abnormal to the point where you get a nickname. Yeah. In fact, some of the practices I've been at or groups I've worked with have really pointed that out about me. Like, oh, you're so positive. You're so upbeat. I think I great feedback at work about that. Yes. I did recently get great feedback at work. Just being a first year attorney, it's not easy to get good feedback. In fact, lawyers are universally known for being really mean and negative when it comes to training attorneys. So real. So the fact that I had a great review with where they actually noticed my positive attitude as an asset instead of making fun of it or diminishing it. I thought that was great. That was great. Oh my God, that's such a feel good. You know that you're in a good place where you are comfortable enough to grow. Yes, because growing is uncomfortable. Yeah. 
and vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable to be able to grow because you have to take chances. You have to take risks and can't be vulnerable in an environment where you're constantly on the defensive. That's a full-time job in and of itself. Right, exactly. If you are constantly defending yourself or justifying your work and justifying your position and trying to be adequate, you can't grow in that environment. And so you're right. I feel like I've really lucked out. I've got the unicorn of law firms now that I work for. (laughs) That's so great. Oh, I wonder what it's like to be the opposite, to be the analytical one in a group of people that are more emotional. I wonder what that response is like. I feel like the only thing that comes to mind is they probably just think everyone's crazy or they're crazy, but there's no in between. I don't know. I think it's easy to affiliate people being crazy with emotions, especially if you don't feel emotions as strongly or maybe you don't have emotional reactions to things that people are emotionally reacting to. I think it's easy to kind of be like, what's wrong with you? true probably because it it genuinely isn't part of their human experience the same way yeah in fact I remember when I was in that HR mediation at one of my prior jobs I remember thinking like I'm pretty sure I didn't say anything insulting I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything to make these people feel this way why are they feeling this way And later on, the HR lady, after everything kind of fell apart, the HR lady came and met with me in my office and not so kindly told me I should probably look for another job. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. One of the things she said was, you know, if you're not happy here, because she was saying I wasn't happy. And I'm like, I'm happy. I'm doing good work. But if if nobody's going to let me do good work, then why am I here? And she said, if you're not happy here, then um, you might want to look for another job. And I I was like, you know, my biggest question about everything that happened was, why were they so emotional? I don't understand. I wasn't emotional. Why were they so emotional? And she's like, you can't logic emotions. Like, you're you're not going to logically explain why they emotionally reacted. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Amen. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. (laughs) (laughs) Feelings are not positive or negative or good or bad or they just are. Yeah. Which is so hard because we don't like to feel bad. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. I mean, look at my whole story so far. Traveling and being uncomfortable around negativity. You don't like that. It's not pleasant. So I would rather not feel that way. So I associate shame or fault or blame around bad emotions, like our sad, negative, uncomfortable emotions, right? I can't even come up with words that aren't valuing it, you know? Um, It's very easy to attribute value to emotions, but it's not healthy to do that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's wild. In terms of negative people and being around them and our coping mechanisms, maybe it is helpful to go in with the mindset of they're just a different personality type. I feel like with person, you have to kind of find your own fit, right? Like there's your toolbox. You keep the tools that are comfortable for you and you use different ones based on the personalities you're interacting with. I don't interact with everybody the same way I interact with the narcissist, right? right? Like I just not acknowledge that everybody who disagrees with me, (laughs) uh, you know, I like a healthy debate (laughs) more than most people probably. Right. (laughs) Uh, But 
I need time to myself after or, you know, different self-care things. I live to take a bath. That's what I'm going to do after this. I heard somewhere that water is the fastest way to rebalance your aura or your energetic field. I heard that something about water for people who are very emotional or very sensitive. Like, I think they call it like a very sensitive person. Have you, have you seen that? Oh, a highly sensitive person? Yes. Highly sensitive person. That water is very soothing to them. And so you should be around water. A bath is great. But for whatever reason... I think of myself as being very highly sensitive. I think of myself that way, but I hate taking showers. Hate it. I will avoid taking a shower as long as I possibly can. I have everything to take basically the non-shower, like a dry shower, but I won't, I hate getting in the shower. I think that's um, common. <laughs> I hope so, because it's also very weird. If you just sit there, you don't have to do anything. You can just enjoy the water. That's true. That's true. Once you're in, are you one of those people that's like, I'm going to stand in the hot water as long as I can? Or are you like, let's get in, let's get out? Yeah, once I'm in the water, I'm like, oh, like, this is great. Or I'll even like put the shampoo in my hands and smell it because it smells good. I enjoy it once I'm there, but I hate the buildup and the prep. And it feels like it's so draining, but it isn't. It usually is very relaxing and rewarding. true I'm the same way though so you're not alone there (laughs) good good I've heard that from many people that they hate taking showers I'm sure especially during COVID times people people are definitely showering less now I feel like dry shampoo is the best thing that man has ever created oh my god what's your go-to brand right now I'm using I think it's called not your mom's dot 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 and it's like not your mom's dry shampoo or something like that and it smells like donut it's delicious I'll send you a picture (laughs) I was so not anti-dry shampoo but I just never found one that worked for my hair type until this one I think it's the brand is called Nexus it's in like a pink bottle you can get it at Target nice it's very fresh scent I'm obsessed with it but that's exciting (laughs) yeah it smells like donuts And that's delicious. And it also has worked really well for me. I usually put it on at night. When my hair's up like this, actually, I usually spray it at night and go to bed. And then in the morning, it's less oily. That's genius. (laughs) Maybe after my bath tonight, I'll do that because, you know, I'm not washing my hair in the bath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is, washing your hair, that might be why I hate showers because you almost kind of have to wash your hair unless I do, well, we're getting sidetracked here, but I hate showers. <laughs> that's, the, that's the key point. Even though I'm supposed to love water and it's supposed to be very rewarding, I hate showers, so. You have other forms of self-care that you use around negative energies. I do. One of the things that is so important to me right now is color. I can't stress that enough. I've painted almost all the walls in my house different colors tastefully. It's not a crazy, it's not a crazy town in here, but like tastefully I've chosen colors that really make me feel energized. And then also I'm very much into smells. And so I love having candles or incense burning. I, that's one of my favorite things. So Colleen actually got me an amazing smelling candle last year and I've gotten many compliments on it, but that totally makes sense because you, yeah. I love smells. So I give my friends candles. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. 
Is your office yellow? Is that the room we're in right now? Yeah, we're in my office right now. It is, it's supposed to be like a light pink, but it looks yellow. Um, okay. And then I have an accent wall. You can kind of see it over here to the right. That's pink, like mauve and purple. So you can't see the purple really, but you can see the mauve a little bit right there. There it is over there. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. I never would have thought about color having that effect on people because I'm so different. I am not a visual person at all. Really? Yes. When I'm processing things, when I read a book, for example, I see nothing in my head. Wow. I never understood why when like a movie that's based on a book would come out where people are like, oh, is that what you picture the character to look like in your head? I'm like, I never picture anything. I just don't have that. <laughs> but that makes sense that for people who are visually stimulated, that color would be soothing. Huh. I am, yeah, I'm very visually stimulated. And so in fact, as a person with dyslexia, I have cultivated a very strong visual memory because my short-term memory is crap, absolute crap. But one of the things I do is I imagine what I'm reading. And so as I'm imagining it, I like picture a little, for example, in law school in torts, I would literally picture a guy walking into a construction space and falling into a open vault, like in the ground. Like I pictured it. And so that's, yeah, that's how I was able to remember, remember things and internalize things was because of the images that I, I thought of. So that made Civ Pro completely unbearable because you can't picture Civ Pro. Like you can't imagine that. <laughs> Rules have nothing to do with the actual facts of the case. Exactly. I can remember, oh, this involved the slide, the water slide. I could not tell you <laughs> what actually important thing happened in the civil procedure part. Like, no. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> well, this was so fun. I'm sorry that your experience was a bit of a bummer, but I'm glad that we got to talk about it and uncork the bottle, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think that's the, probably the biggest key takeaway was that noticing it and being mindful of it is one thing, but talking about it and airing it and noticing it and honoring it is another. And I think that it's really important to do that because then you don't carry it around with you, you know? Do you feel like the weight's lifted? Do you feel like you can put it on the shelf and walk away? Yeah, I think so because, I, and I think this might go back to attributing negative value to emotions that are unpleasant. So being uncomfortable, I felt bad about myself for being uncomfortable, <laughs> if that makes sense. And that's probably because I attributed negative value to being uncomfortable and talking about it and just noticing it and just discussing it openly really seemed to kind of take that away. Now I don't feel that way anymore. So. Well, I'm so glad. <laughs> Well, I wrap this one up. We're trying to do a little bit shorter episodes so we can hit more topics with you guys. Watch us check the count on this and it still be astronomically long. But I think that's it for today, friends. I'm Taylor Williams. And I'm Colleen Hampton. And you've been listening to Balancing Boundaries. If you like today's episode, please hit the like button and subscribe. We welcome your feedback and topic suggestions. Please leave a comment or shoot us an email at balancingboundaries123 at gmail.com. That's balancingboundaries123 at gmail.com. Bye.